When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Is it any more challenging to do in heels? I mean, a little bit, yeah, because you're squatting and balancing in heels. Most things, I mean, walking is challenging in heels. <laughs> Not to mention changing a tire. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, the show that finds out what happens when women break the rules and change a tire. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And, y'all, I'm just going to be honest. Tire changing is more in Caroline's wheelhouse (laughs) than mine. Yeah, I am proud to say that I did manage to change my college roommate's tire after she blew it. I did have to have the manual handy the entire time or else I wouldn't have been able to do it. But then when I blew my own tire, like, I couldn't even loosen the lug nuts. And that is not a euphemism, Kristen. Meanwhile, I don't even know how to start changing a flat, which basically means I'm like a damsel in distress in waiting. And I'm not into the princess look, Caroline. Well, you are not alone. In 2014, there was this not-so-scientific survey from insurance.com that found that only half of the women drivers who responded said that they had ever changed a tire versus 9 out of 10 dudes who responded. Okay. I I give a little side-eye to 9 out of 10 men. I think at least 2 out of 10 were lying. But for a little more not-scientific evidence of this whole fix-a-flat gender gap, just Google image. Mm-hmm. Like, if you search man changing a tire, you get a lot of stock pics of really competent looking guys, sometimes with like a frustrated woman standing in the background. <laughs> He's like, ladies, 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 calm down. But if you Google image woman changing a tire, it gets inexplicably sexy. Yeah. Like, you have a couple of competent women, but it's more women sometimes in bikinis, say, posing just kind of beside the car. Well, Kristen, if this episode doesn't inspire you to throw off your damsel-in-waiting status, put a shirt on over your bikini, and learn to fix a flat already, I don't know what will. Although, you know, if you do want to change a tire and a bikini, that's okay. I mean, no shade on that. Choose your choice. So first, we're going to talk to a gal who wasn't afraid to hike up her skirt and change a tire. In heels! Then I'm introducing y'all to the woman who helped break the lug nut ceiling in professional motorsports. I am so pumped, Caroline, because it's all to find out why it's weird in the first place for women to change tires and what happens when we do.
I'm of the belief that if you can, you do. So. This is Teresa Ukpo, a Nigerian-born New Yorker who's a designer, baker, and freelance writer. Sounds like she's really a Teresa of all trades. Oh, she is. And I wanted to talk to her about an essay she published a couple years ago because, Caroline, it might be the most unladylike flat tire story (laughs) you'll ever hear. Ever? Ever. Bring it. So in your post that we're going to talk about, Mm -hmm. you wrote... And I quote, I was brought up to never be a DID, otherwise known as a damsel in distress. Yeah. Tell us about that. So my mother's assertion in life is that anything a man can do, you can do, maybe even better. Um, My dad was a pilot, almost always, rarely ever home. And so it was just mom and the kids. And so living in Nigeria was very difficult to navigate getting help sometimes. And so she was very self-sufficient and passed that on to us. And so as girls, she always stressed the fact that we had to learn to do things for ourselves in order to survive. What kinds of things then did, uh, did she teach you how to do? Getting handy, like being able to park the car, wash the car, clean up things, going to fetch water if there was no power and, you know, the pumps weren't working for circulation, that sort. So Mm -hmm. learning how to cook for yourself fundamentally, even. And it was this never-be-a-D.I.D. spirit that motivated Teresa to learn how to drive. She was in her early 20s, back home in Lagos after her first year abroad at college in California. The driving instructor basically went through the entire, you know, from A to Z as far as how a car works and proceeded to teach how to change tires, you know, put water in a radiator, like what happens if your radiator is overheated, um, how to jumpstart a car by yourself. You know, and that was sort of like, you know, an optional thing, but I was very curious and I felt that it was something that I could do. And so I decided to stick back and learn that. Little did I know that it would actually come in use at some point. I just thought it was, you know, basic training for how to use a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that those kinds of mechanical skills are, I mean, was it pretty common for girls and women to learn that also in Nigerian culture? Definitely not. The No, if you learning how to run the ins and outs of a car, no, not at all. The most you'll do is pop the hood pop the hood, maybe, you know, pour water in the radiator, if that, but not actually getting down to the nitty-gritty and changing a tire. That's like, whoa, you call a guy for that. You stop on the side of the road, you know, stick your leg out. Hi, I need help. In driving school, Teresa got the chance to show her skills. One day, the teacher took her on a long drive. And somewhere along the way, we got a flat, and it's like, okay, here's go time. What do you do now? We parked on the side of the road. There's people about as, you know, if you've ever Googled or even come across Lagos scenery, it can be a little frantic. A little frantic is putting it mildly, Caroline. Like, I did Google, and it turns out Lagos is actually infamous for having some of the worst traffic in the world. And so, you know, you're sitting on the side of traffic, go into the trunk, you have your toolkit, get the jack, get your car, you know, get everyone out of the vehicle so you can actually lift the car up. And I think something for me that has always maybe stopped me from going ahead and learning how to do it is Mm -hmm. what you just said of, you know, have everyone get out of the car so you can actually 
lift it up. And when right. I hear that in my head, I think I can't do a pull-up. <laughs> How could I? I can't do a pull-up either. I do assisted <laughs> pull-ups with resistance bands. Where there's a will, there's a way. There's always a cheat for something. Caroline, can we just pause to admire Teresa's radness? Where there's a will, there's a way. No big deal. Yeah, cheating with resistance bands. Check. And so I changed my tire there the first time. And, you know, it was a very empowering experience to be able to do that, even though a guy was there and not necessarily need his help, except for him to pass me tools. Okay, so that's Teresa's tire change number one. Totally satisfying. Now, fast forward a year. She's back at college in California, and she starts dating this guy who seems at first like a real knight in shining armor type. He was really nice, you know, very macho, big, tall, strong guy, um, but also a sweetheart. My roommates liked him. He was the type who would come over to our house and, you know, because he's big and tall, if he sees a, a, a bulb loose or a bulb out, he'd change it really quickly just like that. Um, would be the type to pick up the bill. I remember him being offended one time when I tried to pick up the tab at dinner saying that he, you know, I should never do things like that. He would open the door for me. Um, Did you enjoy that? In a sense, yeah, but it also sort of felt like I had to play cute and play small and be dainty, which is something that doesn't come very naturally to me. Teresa describes herself at the time as being in her pick-me phase. And Mr. Fixit had picked her. So anyway, one night they got dressed up to go out for dinner. He drove. We, you know, we had a great time. We're talking in the car. On our way back, we discover we have a flat. So he decides that he's going to go ahead. And, you know, I got it. I'm going to call I'm going to call AAA. AAA tells us, well, it could take anything from maybe 30 minutes to a couple hours because of where you guys are. I have so been there. That way can be so brutal. <laughs> Mr. Fix-It, though, was more than willing to put up with it. 30 minutes went by, and I was increasingly getting impatient and so knowing that he had a spare in the trunk, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I can change it. He scoffs at me and sort of, I, well, I mean, there was a little bit of a conversation and I said, well, you dare me to do it? I, I totally can. And that's where that ended, or at least started with me getting out of the car, asking him to pop the trunk so that I could get tools and the tire. Yes, y'all. Teresa squats down in her heels, in her skirt, and gets to work. Oh, I mean, this kind of sounds like she's the knight in shining armor, and, like, this is the beginning of a really great rom-com. Well, more like rom-drom. Oh. So, anyway, she gets started. You have your, it's not, well, we call it a spanner, but a wrench to take off the lug nuts, and then you actually take off the hubcap, release the tire off. It's so, it's, it really is very simple. It literally is taking off the tire from, I forget whatever hinge thing it is, and then replacing it, securing it, making sure that the hubcap is back on, and then putting back the lug nuts on top. At no point, even if it were a dare, at no point did he stop me and go, whoa, 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 okay, you're not joking. I'll take the reins from here. Let's do this. You know, you hold the flashlight. At no point was it any of that. Mr. Fixit's response seems out of character, right? Like, here's the guy who changed random light bulbs at Teresa's apartment. He's suddenly seeming passive. Mm, masculinity so fragile, Kristen. Was he essentially just standing there silently, just watching you? Silently, arms crossed, well, one arm crossed, holding the flashlight, just like, okay, this is really happening. 20 minutes later, 
the tire was swapped. Wait, you almost sounded disappointed. Shouldn't it be like, 20 minutes later, the tire was swapped? Well, yes, if everyone was happy about that development. Hmm. It felt weird. It felt weird as all hell because I had this guy who had proven himself to be extremely macho, not doing anything but holding a flashlight while I'm hiking up my dress in heels to try to change a tire in the middle of darkness in San Diego. Made no sense to me. While it did feel empowering, it also felt very strange because it, you know, I I, I expected in this scenario for it to be a little bit more collaborative. Here I am with a assumingly equal partner, and that's not happening at all. Who do you think was more uncomfortable in that moment, you or him? Probably him. (laughs) Probably, because I I just got down to it and just, I changed the tire. He -hmm. was definitely more uncomfortable. And Caroline, the date wasn't over yet. Oh, God. They still had to drive home together. Mm Mm-hmm. I just remember trying to make conversation, and it was a bunch of one-word responses. You know, he was so focused on, really focused on driving. I mean, I think that might have been like the quickest we'd ever gone home. Um, (laughs) Did he at least say thank you? Um, I, I honestly don't recall if he did say thank you. I don't. It was just, it was just very, there was just this air of awkwardness around us. And I'm the one trying to make conversation to lighten the mood. It's like, hey, all right, crisis averted. We changed the tire. Done. Let's go. Let's go home. I'm thinking I'm going to spend the rest of the night with this person, but nope. Mm-mm. Did he literally just drop off? Yeah. He did not come inside, did not come into my home, dropped me off. I'm like, oh, I'm really tired. You know, I tried to call, tried to text, hey, what's going on? Nothing. Completely ghosted on me. And being 20-something, like, I didn't have the gumption to sit there and have, like, a whole closure text message. Like, hey, I don't know what really happened here, but... Sorry I changed your tire and just crushed your masculinity. (laughs) Exactly. He ghosted? He ghosted. Teresa never heard from Mr. Fix-It again. But the story didn't end there. I went around asking a lot of my male friends, hey, this is what happened. These are the circumstances, or, you know, this is the circumstance that occurred before I never heard from him again. What do you think might have happened? And Almost all of them said, ooh, you changed the tire? Yeah, that's a bit much. A bit much? (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people said that I essentially emasculated him, that, you know, I made him feel small, that I should have, yeah. The arguments around this entire incident have (laughs) just been a slight bane of my existence, honestly. I feel like this is such a sliding door situation because— Like, if Teresa had been patient and waited, would she have just accidentally been co-signing on to some lopsided ladylike relationship? I mean, maybe, because this is so real, right? I mean, even something seemingly small, like changing a tire, can leave you drowning in gendered expectations. Well, unless, of course, you're someone like Teresa who could probably fashion a life raft from three tampons and a cell phone. Do you think that normalizing something basic, like changing a tire, normalizing that skill for girls as well as boys is something that could help chip away at that gender-rigid thinking? Of course. I think that even buying cooking sets for boys is a necessity. You should learn to cook as a man. It raises yet another, like, 
kind of fascinating yet frustrating double standard where if, you know, in your case, you change a tire, do the quote-unquote man's job, and you get ghosted, whereas if a guy cooks a woman dinner, it's like, ooh, so romantic. (laughs) Because we reward men for the tiniest things ever, and I don't know why. If you can really cook, then yeah, that's a good thing. But, you know, I think... It's a basic survival skill. Self-sustenance, being able to forage and prepare your own meals, is a basic requirement of adulthood. So if you ended up on a date and a flat tire (laughs) happens again, Mm -hmm. would you still change it? Definitely. I wouldn't change, no. I, I, I definitely wouldn't change that part of me. If there's a problem to be tackled and I can solve it, I will be there doing that. And this is not to undermine anyone's ability in any sense. If you can as well, cool. You hold the spanner, I'll take the, you know, it'll be a collaborative effort. But I don't see it, I don't see my ability to do something as a takeaway from your manhood. Ever. And it really shouldn't ever be. No, it shouldn't. Although, Caroline, this probably means I definitely really have to learn how to change a tire now, right? I mean, unless you want to keep your damsel in distress status. No, I want to change my status, which (laughs) I guess means I'm in for some YouTube tutorials. Yeah, we both have some homework ahead of us. But when we come back, we're going to drive y'all through a little car culture history. Then the rubber meets the road for women claiming their space and changing tires real fast in motor racing's pit crews. Don't go away. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We're back and we're talking tires. And Caroline, it is just wild to me that Teresa not taking the damsel bait and changing the damn tire felt like such an affront to Mr. Fix-It's masculinity. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how benevolent sexism works, right? Like, it's the whole backhanded suggestion that men doing all the dirty, sweaty work, like fixing a flat, is a perk of being a woman. Like, a girl is supposed to look pretty and work really hard at never getting stranded alone. Because if she does, then she's not going to know how to get herself out. Boys are the ones who are likelier to be taught about changing a tire. Well, guess what, Caroline? Ooh. It wasn't always like this. What? Mm-hmm. In the early days of automobiles, from, like, the late 1800s to the 1920s, knowing your way around a car was 
kind of chic for anyone wealthy enough to own one. There was even a whole mini-genre of driving books for women in the early 1900s, like The Woman and Her Car, a chatty little handbook for all women who motor or want to motor. (laughs) I do love an absurdly long, thorough, and specific title. Oh, me too. But also get this. The original Nancy Drew? She changes a flat in her very first mystery, noting, (laughs) this is definitely not the first time Nancy had changed a tire. Well, so then what happened? Like, when did women stop changing tires? So, I mentioned Nancy Drew because, pop-culturally at least, that first novel in 1930 marks the end of an auto era— Starting in the 1920s, folks were kind of getting bent out of shape about women's new voting rights and growing autonomy. So you have sexism plus super gendered car marketing that boiled over into stereotypes about women as terrible drivers who just know nothing about cars. So why don't you buy your own car for you, man, and just buy her a simpler car for her and her tiny brain. Just buy her a dishwasher. And on top of that, Caroline, young women in cars, Nancy Drew aside, were developing a sluttier association Mm. at this time because, as anyone who's been a teenager knows, cars have kind of always doubled as make-out wagons. And that's Putting it kindly. You got a fast car. You got to be a fast gal. Right. Cool. So fast forward to today, and that gendered car marketing has basically devolved into auto-related media geared mostly toward men. You know, all of those, like, sexy images we talked about earlier? Like, (laughs) it's okay for us to look really good handling lug nuts, but we aren't actually expected to know how to do anything. Patriarchy. As a flat circle, Caroline. Okay, Kristen, so I do know my way around a tire, as long as I have the manual handy. But I gotta say, I have a major knowledge gap. Mm-hmm. NASCAR and professional car racing? Can't say it's really my thing. <laughs> well, uh, I'll take you that and raise you. Um, I know Danica Patrick is a big deal. I- I've seen that Will Ferrell movie where he plays a NASCAR driver. I'm sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, there are multiple Dales Earnhardt. Yes, so many Dales. But back in July, the New York Times published this total unladylike bait of a headline. Two women change NASCAR while changing tires. The gray lady knows us so well. Totally. So basically, this summer in 2018 was the first time that NASCAR ever had a co-ed pit crew at a cup race. So basically, this is like Olympics-level NASCAR. And actually, there were two women, Brianna O'Leary and Brianna Daniels. Uh, They're actually roommates who go by Bree Squared, and they were on the same crew. I love this. It's so adorable. And Daniels was also the first black woman to be on a NASCAR pit crew for any top series race. There's a lot of cool firsts happening in that pit. And we should probably explain to y'all, just in case... A pit crew basically stands next to the track and waits for the car to pull up. Like when the driver runs out of gas or wears down the tires or, you know, just like needs a little snack break. (laughs) They pull in and the crew runs out to swap the tires, fill the tank, service the car and like throw a handful of trail mix at his face. Exactly. And they've got to do all of this in a matter of seconds, meaning in today's races, like 17 seconds max. Think about that. Changing four tires, gassing a car back up, potentially needing to change an entire windshield out. 17 seconds. Every moment counts against the race time. 
But listen, our Brie Squared gals aren't the first women to don protective bodysuits and hop over the wall, as I've learned they say in the biz. Listen to you. You're a NASCAR natural. Oh, dude. You want to hear about a natural? Let me tell you about the Kathy that started it all. 30 years ago, this woman brought the first professional tire-changing unladies into the pit crew. Can you tell me what it feels like to be hit by a lug nut? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> I was hit in the face. Oh. And it, it does not feel good. <laughs> <laughs> they're hot and they're hard. But you don't stop. Nope, you don't. <laughs> this is Kathy Venturini, Lugnut Warrior, co-owner of Venturini Motorsports Racing Team, and former crew chief of the first ever all-female pit crew in professional racing. There were seven of us that went over the wall. Uh, we had two tire carriers. We had two tire changers, a jack person and a gas person. We would go over the wall, change the tires, fill the car up with gas, and off he'd go. Now, Kathy's all-female crew didn't compete in NASCAR races like the Brianna's. They did pit stops for Kathy's husband, Bill. He drove in sort of the minor league of racing called ARCA, or Automobile Racing Club of America. Still, Bill and Kathy's crew was a major first for the sport. Getting a group of females together to form a pit crew was an unheard-of idea. But ARCA driver Bill Venturini did just that. That's a news clip from 1987, the year that the all-female crew helped Bill Venturini go on to win the national championship. Kathy was the front-wheel tire changer. When did you learn to change a tire for the first time, like a normal car tire? Actually, I didn't really practice changing tires until we came up with the all-female pit crew. Oh, really? You'd never changed a tire before? No, no, never had to. We always had full-serve gas stations back then, and if I needed anything done, my mechanics all took care of everything. Wait a sec. So, so how did Kathy go from letting the gentleman change your tires to suddenly heading up the first-ever all-girl crew and winning a championship? Well, Kristen, that story starts with a racetrack romance. <laughs> When we started dating, we would go up to Rockford Speedway and watch the races on Saturday nights. And we just loved it. <laughs> Kathy and Bill Venturini have been together for 45 years. And basically, all of those 45 years have been spent at or on the racetrack. Well, when we got married, we had two weeks for our honeymoon. We took 10 days. We came home and got a stock car ready, and we were going racing. Um, in case you missed that, the newlyweds bought a stock car on their honeymoon. Bill was behind the wheel, and Kathy was behind Bill. My husband loved to race, and I learned to love it. And I sometimes, my son tells me sometimes, Mom, sometimes I think Dad could quit and you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready to. I'm 63 years old. I'm not ready to give it up. <laughs> So what was your role at the time? When we first started, I was just helping him because I didn't know anything about mechanics or what it took. But I would be out in the garage with him every night and helping him do whatever he had to do. And what first, like, really grabbed your interest? 
Uh, I just, I love the racing aspect as far as what you could do to make a car go faster. And so I always listened to everything that he was talking about. We talked about the setups and we talked about what he had to do or what he had to change. And I went to all the trade shows with him when he was talking to manufacturers and I just absorbed it all. Now, Caroline, that is romance. Right. Okay, and see, most racing wives were up in the stands. Kathy tried that. But maybe not surprisingly, it didn't stick. She didn't want to be a spectator. So to make herself useful, she timed Bill's laps. She took notes. And starting in 1978, she had it down into the pit, too. Did you ever want to be behind the wheel? I did a powder puff one time, and it made my husband so nervous. And it was really comical because I got out of the car, and he just looked at me and said, I was a nervous wreck. And I said, well, now you know what I go through. (laughs) But my passion was always changing tires. Once I started doing that, that was, even to this day, when I'm on the pit box watching the pit crew, I'm, I'm watching those tire changers. Eventually, Bill graduated from hobby racing to ARCA. When 1982 rolled around, Bill and Kathy co-founded their own team, Venturini Motorsports. And they hired guys to help on their team's pit crew. Like, this was the real deal. But the new team needed some sponsor cash and some attention. So they came up with a novel idea. We came up with the all-female pit crew. So we were talking and, you know, I've always been involved in racing and I was always a part of it. We thought other women would love to do this too. And if we could do this and pull it off and have successful pit stops, it would really be cool to do. The whole idea, though, didn't really take off until a few years later in 1985, That was the year that this company called Permatex was releasing a new bright blue silicone gasket. Very exciting. Permatex told Kathy and Bill that they would sponsor the all-female squad and call it the Ultra Blue Crew. So they're named after a rubber gasket? Yes. Oh, very sexy. Mm. Well, how'd you find the women? Uh, I mean, did you put out an ad? We took an ad out in the local racing paper. And just word of mouth. You know, Kristen, Kathy couldn't remember exactly what was in that original ad, but I found it. And here's what it said. Wanted. Women to work in racing pit crew. No pay. Lousy hours. Much fun. (laughs) Wait, no pay? Yeah, I know, but honestly, it wasn't that uncommon in those ARCA races. Like, they'd put the girls up when they traveled and stuff like that, but no salary. So who signed up? Well, with the ad and some flyers that Kathy put up in the gas station she and Bill owned... The crew just sort of materialized. We had an, an R.J. Reynolds cigarette rep that wanted to do it. We had a girl that worked for McCormick Spice, was a customer. She wanted to do it. I had sisters and sister-in-laws that wanted to do it. So it just kind of fell together. But to be clear, this was not just a sign-up thing. They had tryouts. They had to be sure that these ladies could handle a spot on the Ultra Blue Crew. Even Kathy had to try out. I had done various jobs, but I wanted to change a tire. He thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that week when we were going to have tryouts, I took the air tank out and I took a tire out and I took lug nuts out and I kept practicing while he was at work. And when we had our tryouts, I was pretty good at it. (laughs) So he had no choice but to let me be a tire changer. Did any of these women have any sort of car or mechanic experience at all beforehand? No, none of them did. (laughs) That's what made it so much fun is because they came in not knowing what to expect, (laughs) not knowing what job they were going to do. They had moms on the crew, flight attendants, school teachers, a former mud wrestler. Wait, are, are you sure this isn't the first season of GLOW? I know, that is exactly what I thought, but I'm not making this up. No matter what, these women had to be ready for the job. Because even though, according to that ad, it was going to be much fun, it was also much work. Tire carriers each had to haul a 75-pound tire. Kathy's gas girls had to carry a 65-pound gas tank. Like, these girls were beasts. And on top of all of that, they had to be fast. So that means drill, baby, drill. We practice usually twice a week. And... Um we would do it on our driveway in Chicago. We would just take all the guns out, the air guns out, the tanks, uh, take up tires, glue up lug nuts, and practice. And the girls knew how to service all their equipment. So we just would practice twice a week, and then we'd have the race on the weekend. Is it you training them? Is it you and Bill? What, who's, uh, who's training it, the girls? It was... My husband was there. He was clocking us every day. Bill was definitely worried at first. Basically, his attitude was that, you know, the women didn't have to necessarily be faster than the other crews, but they definitely couldn't put him at a disadvantage. They couldn't cost him time. Oh, he'd do mean things, too. (laughs) He'd unhook an air hose like a gun broke or something and see what you would do. He wanted any scenario to happen. He'd come into the pull into the pit area per se, and he'd pull in crooked and see if we could change a tire with the wheel turned. And of course, you couldn't. And he wanted to see what we did to correct it. You know, so well. What happens when you unhook the air hose? What would the women do in those in those? Uh, we'd have drills? to go grab another one. <laughs> You know, he'd he'd turn a jack so the car car would drop and see if we could lift it and get it back up. I mean, so we had a lot of different scenarios that we worked through, and we did it all. The Ultra Blue crew rehearsed all the scenarios they could. They practiced, they got their time down, and they got a little creative. The women rolled the tires out there with their legs, propped them with their knees. And at one point, Bill even made their tire jack lighter by just, like, drilling holes in it Swiss cheese style. (laughs) I love how scrappy they are. Oh, totally. And by the time their first race rolled around, buzz had started to build. Everybody was watching us. They wanted to see if we could do it. (laughs) What was the reaction from everyone else, other teams, the press? Like, what were people saying? Well, before we did our pit stops, they would all, they all thought it was just a gimmick to get attention. And that when it came time for pit stops, we wouldn't be able to do it. And we we shut them up pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Actions louder than words. (laughs) 
Yeah, see, not only did the Ultra Blue crew not have a disadvantage, thanks to all that practice, they were as fast or faster than the guys. Their pit stops clocked in at an average of 24 seconds. What were the other guys thinking, saying, doing? What was their reaction? It was mixed. It really was. Uh, There were some that thought it was good. Some thought we were crazy. (laughs) Some thought women didn't belong in the pits. The girls would get teased by the other pit crews, sure, and, you know, then there was the mansplaining, like this one L.A. Times writer who scolded that tire changing is no job for women with long fingernails. Thanks, dude. But Kathy says that at the end of the day, their performance was what mattered. Plus, the crowds loved it. The fans were great. They really were, especially the female fans. I think with the women being around, the all-female pit crew being around, it brought more women into the sport because they they really loved watching us do pit stops and accomplish everything that we did accomplish, you know. So it was a good feeling. Kathy couldn't get enough. She loved working with the other women. She loved the rush of running out onto the track. And honestly, this woman just loved changing tires, period. What I found out after that first race was that when someone comes down pit road, you have no clue how many cars come buzzing past your butt Mm. because you are concentrating on your job and your job only. I couldn't, up until then, I always did timing and scoring. And I could tell my husband who pit it, who took what tires and so on and so forth. I couldn't tell him anything after that. I knew he got his tires on. That was it. (laughs) It was a different perspective of racing. Kathy said focusing on that job made her less anxious about having a husband who was racing at like, you know, 200 miles an hour. It distracted her. It made her feel like she was helping keep him safe. But the Ultra Blue crew did more than just keep Bill safe, Kristen. In 1987, they made him a winner. When we won the championship that year, that, that was just the frosting on the cake. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, was, it was a special thing because I had worked so hard with my husband to get that done. And the, the ladies were great. And we proved that the women could do it, pit stops, just like the guys could. And we won a championship and backed it all up. That's amazing. That's like a competitive sorority. <laughs> <laughs> we were. So that's how Kathy went from letting the guys at the gas station handle stuff to getting down and dirty on tires. But did all that change professional racing? We're going to find that out after the break. I mean, it took a really long time before the guys would really notice us and could sit back and say, those girls can do a job, a man's job, and they can do it well. But when we come out here on race day and we show them, they can't say much more. We're back, and that was Kathy's sister and fellow tire changer, Carol. Kathy and Carol were part of the first all-female pit crew that professional racing had ever seen. But y'all, it was not easy. 
In addition to having to field all of the doubts from the guys, their job was also just very physically dangerous. I mean, we were hit with lug nuts. We had cars oh. dropped on us. We had things break. I mean, we had tires that were so hot you burnt your arms. Oh, You know, so we, we had all the same stuff the guys went through. And it was just part of racing. And that's just the pitfalls of working on the cars. There's also the danger of being over the wall to begin with, out on the track during a race. You're still running out in front of a car at 100 miles an hour. I was one of those crazy girls running out in front of my husband's car. The girls (laughs) used to laugh at me. They used to say, Kathy, you leave so early. And I'd look at him and say, he's not going to hit me. Ah! (laughs) I knew that. Yeah, they didn't all have the the benefit of being married to the driver with that level of trust. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) For Kathy and all the other gals on the Ultra Blue crew, all this was worth it. Because they knew that being there, getting those burns and the faces full of brake dust and running in front of speeding cars, was having a bigger impact on the sport. For one thing, remember those practices that Kathy told us about where they trained the girls and got really fast? Well, their speed in the pits turned out to be a kick in the pants for all the other pit crews. It made everyone realize that they needed to do it because they weren't going to have a bunch of women beating them. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it put the competition in pit stops for ARCA. It really did. Did that also drive down the average pit stop time? All that competition? Of course it did. All those creative measures they took with the Swiss cheese jack, the rolling moves with the tires, all that stuff, it proved that women could be in the pits and not just in the minor leagues. Kathy told us about this conjunction race that the Ultra Blue crew went to one year with NASCAR. All the tools and everything they needed to work on the cars were in the NASCAR garage. And the NASCAR garage was boys only. Literally. It was the security guards that wouldn't let the women in. Don't... (laughs) Did they not believe who they were? I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> but we, we sure did, you know, approach the right people and get it handled that the girls could be in there. Yeah, the right people. Uh, Kathy called the president of ARCA, and he called NASCAR. And that did the trick. And they said, we'll let you in. I think it was a turning point in history for women to be in the pits. Uh, because NASCAR opened up their garage for us to come in there. They didn't shut us out. They let us in. So that, to me, was a really step forward. This stuff might seem small, but little by little, it's stuff like this that helped crack open the whole sport from being a boys-only clubhouse to one where women like the Briannas today are thriving. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's worth noting NASCAR is making a concerted effort to really open up the clubhouse. For instance, both Briannas came up through their Drive for Diversity program, which targets former college athletes. And speaking of which, one of the Briannas, Brianna O'Leary, actually got her start at Venturini Motorsports working on a crew for one of Kathy's cars. Oh my God, Caroline, we're coming full circle, which is also so appropriate because this is about racing and tires, both of which are circles. Yes, we're coming full tire. What, what's going through your mind when you watch other women who are working in the pit? Like when you're watching Brianna O'Leary, for instance, what, what's going through your mind? I love watching her. 
I love to see her succeed. I, I, before she did her cup race, she, she was telling me about it. I said, are you a little apprehensive? He, she says, yeah, a little bit. I says, remember this, five off, five on. That's all it is. That being a reference to five lug nuts, by the way. So after she did her pit stops in the cup race, I says, did you think about it? She says, yep, five off, five on. That's all there was to it. I says, see, lug nuts don't know which race they're in. You're just <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I'm so, so excited about it. I, I wish I was... 30 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, I mean, I, I, I agree that it's fantastic, but explain that for me. Like, why, why does it matter? Because why shouldn't they be able to? Because they're females? I can't accept that. I, th- I think it, especially this day and age that women should be able to do any job they want to do when they want to do it. You can learn anything you want to do. If you, you've got the passion for it, you'll, you'll figure it out. You'll do it. You know, Kristen, I think I might start saying five off, five on. Like, that seems to be a nice lug nut life philosophy. Look, if it works for Kathy, it works for me. I am hashtag team <laughs> lug nuts. And, and you know, Caroline, even though I'm going to bet that our other guest, Teresa, probably isn't a NASCAR fan, I do think she'd be a fan of Kathy and the Briannas. Oh, totally. Do you think she'd join Team Lugnuts? Oh, Teresa would be an MVP of Team Lugnuts. Which, Caroline, that reminds me that Teresa also had some non-tire-changing life hacks to leave with our listeners. So are there any other skills that you would recommend to unladylike listeners beyond tire changing? Uh, You know, kind of some other skills to avoid being a DID. (laughs) Always have a toolkit. Um, Learn to put furniture together. I think it's an empowering thing to be able to build something and say, okay, this is something that my hands made. I can do this now. You never know. You might need a chair. You might need to put together a bookcase. You just never know. Yes! That is so practical. Here's to never being a DID, (laughs) y'all. Amen. And now, listeners, this conversation has us wondering whether you've ever ended up in a damsel in distress situation. Or or maybe um, if if you're a guy listening, a dams him in distress (laughs) situation. Do you have any tips for being your own knight in shining armor, also known as the AAA guy? Or maybe you, too, have accidentally driven over male egos because you're just too good at taking care of yourself. Or maybe you've been hit in the face with a lug nut. We don't know. Send it all to hello at unladylike.co or holler at Team Lug Nuts, a.k.a. CNC, a.k.a. at Unladylike Media on social. And in case you're wondering... Maybe we have a couple lug nuts loose. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say we don't, but how can we be sure? We need an air gun. Yeah. And while you're on our site, make sure you pick up a copy of our brand new book, Unladylike, A Field Guide to Smashing the Patriarchy and Claiming Your Space. And before we dive into the credits today, we want to give y'all an extra special podcast recommendation. Remember our friend Imani Gandhi, a.k.a. Twitter's Angry Black Lady? She did an episode with us about the Supreme Court nonsense before we knew just how nonsensical it would truly become. 
Well, anyway, Imani co-hosts her own show along with Jessica Mason Piclo called Boom Lawyer that we think y'all should check out. In Boom Lawyer, Jess and Imani deliver smart, timely, and hilarious takes on the issues you care most about, from LGBTQ rights and abortion access to the latest haps and mishaps at the Supreme Court. For example, throughout the patriarchal debacle of Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court, Jess and Imani were there with analysis and insight each step of the way. But as y'all know, it's not just the Supreme Court that's got a patriarchy problem. What about the state and federal courts? Well, Boom Lawyered sheds light on those two. It's never been more important to know what's going on in the courts. So check out Boom Lawyered today, available wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to check out our episode with Imani, How to Argue Your Case. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Ash Sanders and Abigail Barr transcribe our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special thanks to Krissa Palmer. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week, we're going to the gyno. I started crying in the doctor's office and she kind of looked at me with this face that to me said like why are you why are you crying to figure out what the heck is up with all the gaslighting happening in healthcare make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it and remember got a problem get unladylike and caroline the date wasn't over yet oh god where else did they have to go to Bone Town, so they thought. <laughs> Sorry. I literally blanked. I was like, I don't know. Bed Bath and Beyond? I don't. Fuck. Stitcher. <laughs>